everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. So we're continuing our series on vision, and last week we talked about the importance of vision, and in particular, the importance of like letting the voice of God lead you and rooting yourself in the Bible. And without those things, you perish. Proverbs 29, 18, without vision, people perish. Not like just groups of people perish, but you individually perish without God's voice and without scripture. But if you, if you pursue those things, if you actively invest in those two things, then you have what Proverbs calls a good life. Today, what I want to talk to you about, though, is very related to vision. Uh, but today, I want to talk to you about perseverance. Like, we're in a time where I think what we simply need is to persevere as humans, like to keep on keeping on, like to keep going, to keep, uh, to stay engaged, to keep loving like Jesus. It's not necessarily something new and fresh, like vision always isn't always something like that changes what you're doing. Uh, vision can actually help you stay on target, like have a renewal in your heart to persevere in the things that are most important to you with the people that are most important to you. And, uh, and I'm going to read now from Hebrews chapter 10. And this is a passage about perseverance. It's a passage about perseverance and motivation and hope. And so here are these words uh, written to young or early Christians, like probably like second generation. Maybe these people hadn't met Jesus, but they knew people who knew Jesus personally. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, he's talking about Jesus here, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. I'm going to stop there. We'll continue in a second. That's a pretty dense little package, isn't it? And you might be asking yourself, what does this have to do with hope and motivation and perseverance? But if you were uh, an early Christian, and there's good evidence that the people who read this had a really good understanding of the Old Testament, a really good understanding of parts of the Old Testament that you and I don't like to read because like the last part of Exodus and Leviticus, it's all about laws and ritual purity. But the people reading this for the first time actually would have had their minds like explode and the excitement would have been there because they understood what the writer of Hebrews was saying to them. Uh, I have to understand, or I have to explain a little bit to you, and some of you may know this, but bear with me. In uh, the temple that was built by Solomon and then had been rebuilt like during the time of Jesus, there were basically two rooms inside. 
And the crazy thing is only priests could even go in the temple. Most of the people had to stay outside uh, in the courtyard. Uh, But the priest could go in the temple. But then inside of the temple, there was like a curtain. And behind the curtain is what they called the most holy place. Remember hearing about that? And the most holy place in the original temple was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant wasn't an idol. This is, it wasn't like an image of God, like some of you have maybe seen uh, uh, Hindu idols, or some of you have seen like ancient pagan idols. It wasn't the idea that this Ark, this box represented like God, uh, but in some places it was called the mercy seat. So maybe if you could visualize, it's like the place where God sat. But the idea is in this most holy place, the presence of God was like uh, poignant and, and, and so like intense that pe- people didn't go in there. Uh, the fear was that if you, go, if you would go in there, if you would enter into that kind of holiness that you would like explode, right? And so only once a year did one priest walk into the most holy place. It was on uh, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, and, and even when the priest went in, he did all these things to kind of get himself ritually prepared. He wore like this, this funny outfit and he walked in with a rope tied around his foot so that if he happened to like drop dead while he was in the presence of God, they could, you know, pull him out without having to go into the room, right? Like this is, this is uh, pretty intense stuff, am I right? Um, and the idea was, again, as Westerners, we think like, well, maybe he was getting like smitten because of bad things that he did. But it was actually, it went deeper than just like the idea of a, of a guilty conscience. Like I've, I've done some bad things. The idea was that actually I am unworthy. I am unholy to be in the presence of a God who is so holy that his holiness would just like consume me. Uh, think of it in terms of like, light and darkness or heat and cold. Like the, the light doesn't punish the darkness, but it drives it out. Like the, the darkness just gets vanished. Or if, if the furnace turns on, like the cold gets consumed by the heat, not the other way around. And so the, the idea that I am, I'm so unworthy to enter the presence of God, and the sh- there's a feeling word for that, the feeling of shame that I don't deserve to be in the presence of God was behind the idea of the entire sacrificial system. And so unless you were like a really special someone, you couldn't even go in the house. And unless you were even more special, like one person, you couldn't go into the room where God was present. And there was a curtain dividing those two rooms. The good news that this passage is driving us toward, which is, again, pretty theologically dense, is that Jesus changes everything for us. Here it says, like, you don't have have to have a guilty conscience because the blood of Jesus wipes it clean, wipes our conscience clean. But there's another level to this, the idea that now you are worthy because of not just the death of Jesus, but also the life of Jesus, when we hear blood, sometimes we think death, right? But the, the people in Bible times believed that the life of a person was actually contained in their blood. And so the idea that Jesus would share his blood with us is like him sharing his life with us. And so now that we have his life in us, we are 
worthy and we are forgiven and we can be like in the presence of God. The curtain that used to separate has been replaced with Jesus who welcomes us in. And so let me continue in Hebrews 10 where he says, right after this passage, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let me read that again. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Uh, the idea that Jesus is returning is one of those like core Christian beliefs. Uh, the, the people back then lived as if Jesus could return any minute. And uh, Christians today are actually called, invited to live the same way. And there's an idea that in part, that is motivating. Like if you knew the end of the world was coming, how would you live your life differently? Like if you knew that time was short, if you knew that Jesus, the person on whom you'd pinned your hopes and dreams and, and like deepest affections on was coming, what would you do to prepare your heart if he was coming soon? What would you do uh, to love people? What would, like if, if the end of the world was coming this year, and I'm not saying that it is, despite what YouTube might be saying. How would you live your life differently? Would that motivate you in some way? I want to stick on this idea of motivation for just a second. Because we can be motivated by all sorts of things. I think the big two motivators are fear and love. And so even the question, if Jesus was coming back this year... Where did your heart go? Did it go toward fear? Oh, shoot. <laughs> I better, like, stop doing this and start doing that. Like, was it a fear response or was it a love response? The invitation here, the, actually the, the more powerful force in the human heart is love. And the, the passage here is saying, like, you don't have to fear God if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. If Jesus is coming back, it's actually, it's about, imagine like your, your mom who you love or your grandpa who you who love is coming to visit and, uh, and they're, they're not going to judge you for your dirty house, right? It's not that kind of relationship, but you might want to like do some things to prepare for their coming because you want to respond in love to the visit. How's, like, how's that for motivation? One of the big, I think, um, mistakes that we make in trying to understand our own motivations is we put everything in terms of winning and losing, right? So there's a couple of big football games today. I imagine that almost everyone here is rooting against the Bucks, if not for the Packers. Uh, my wife, Allison's a big Packers fan. She committed an unforgivable sin. She bought our little girl an Aaron Rodgers jersey. And we had talked about how she was going to be an Eagles fan, but we also, we're not haters in our family. Like, I'm rooting for the Packers out of love for her, not because I love the Packers. In fact, I didn't even wear green for most of my, like, teenage years because I disliked the Packers so much. I'm getting way off track here, aren't I? Allison agrees. 
We take the principles of a game and we've, of winning and losing, and we've applied them to our lives. We've applied them to our businesses, and it, it, and it messes things up a little bit. Um, Simon Sinek is somebody who thinks about this and communicates. It's the guy with the glasses. Yeah, there he is. Um, what he communicates about the idea of winning and losing is that the most important things in life actually you can't win or lose at. And so, for instance, you can't win or lose at health. You can't get to the end of the day and say, yes, I have conquered health. My body is strong. No, health, like the well-being of your body is an ongoing, continual thing that, that you work at, but you never actually get to the end of. You can't win in a relationship. You can't say, and now I have won my marriage, right? Like the most important things in life can't be won or lost. Uh, Simon Sinek uses Blockbuster Video as an example of a company that like used that very finite winning and losing mindset to, with their company, and it, it meant that they went bankrupt. And where Blockbuster, you remember how Blockbuster was like the only place nationwide that you knew uh, you could rent videos from, like you went and you got your VHS or your DVD, and uh, then you, you watched the movie and then you brought it back. Remember how that used to work? Well, Netflix, when it was an early company, went to Blockbuster and said, would you please buy us out? We have this idea. It's a subscription-based, right now, DVD by mail thing, um, but we have a vision for doing this on the internet. The internet's not there yet. It's like too slow, but someday it's gonna get fast. And like, we would love for you to buy us out Netflix because, you know, then I guess they wanted money or, and resources. Who knows? I don't know what their motivations was. And Blockbuster said no. And you wanna know why they said no? Because their board got together and they said, here's the problem with this plan. We make 10% of our income off of late fees. When people forget to bring the videos back on time, then we charge them like a dollar a day, and that's 10% of our income. Blockbuster was playing a finite game, trying to win and lose the quarter, trying to win against the competition that, as it existed in that moment in time, and they lost the infinite game or the game that like keeps on going the game that is like your relationships, the game that is like your health, because they clung to the wrong thing. They clung to the 10% that they could make on late fees instead of the vision of ongoing health and flourishing. The writer of Hebrews says, let us hold on tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. And so there are basically three ideas in this passage that drive us toward perseverance that help us persevere, that help us keep on going. And the first of those things is to make sure that you're holding on to the right rope, that you're holding on to hope, that you're holding on to the hope that comes from the belief that we are worthy to enter the presence of God, and that even beyond that, although not, it's not only that when we die, we get to be with Jesus, it's that when we live, we get to be with Jesus too. We get to live in the presence of God. And that speaks to who we are. It speaks to our identity. 
And we live in a world where identity and community are being eroded. And so to remember who we are as we stand with God is like ingredient number one to perseverance. Ingredient number two is community, which I just said is also eroding. And I was just having some people tell me this morning, like, we have a church that showed up and helped us move from like one apartment to the next, and we barely knew some of the people who came and helped. And I, as they shared with their friends uh, and people they worked with, they're like, what? Who would do that? Who would let you borrow their pickup truck and, and not even know you? Well, a church would. Because a church is a community motivated to love and to encourage based on the unconditional love of Jesus. Like unconditional love and service is, is, is a rare thing in the world. But to plug into a community that it says right here, um, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. To plug into a community will keep you going, will help you persevere. And that can be church on Sunday, that can be life groups, that can be tripods. And when I think about my own life and what has kept me going in community, there's actually two ingredients, I think, that has been, has been helpful. And it hasn't been uh, words of criticism. <laughs> Those actually, I don't know, is anybody else like that? When you're criticized, you actually are less motivated? That's how I operate. I don't know. I don't know if that's everybody. But so let me just speak to my life. I have gotten through my darkest days uh, when I'm facing like failure and discouragement because I have community that I had built beforehand um, when things were good. But it's not too late to build community. I had built community beforehand that did two things. One is that they would listen. They would validate what I was feeling. They wouldn't try to fix my problems. They wouldn't try to say like, oh, it's no big deal. They wouldn't say like, well, think about all the people who have it worse. They would simply listen. And I think when we love people, if we want to love like Jesus, we need to listen well. Most of us are not as good at listening as we think we are. And I'd like you to test this out this week to see how good of a listener you are. I want you to, in every conversation that you have this week, try and ask three straight questions before you respond. I don't mean like necessarily every conversation with your spouse. That would get a little weird or with your kid. But maybe try that with them too. Notice how when people come at you with political ideas or things that you disagree with, what's going on on the inside? Because you probably start to vibrate with anxiety, right? When people say things you disagree with or don't like, or maybe they're even criticizing you and you're just like, ah, take a deep breath and try and listen. Love by listening. Love by asking questions. So the second thing is I had people who encouraged me. Here it says, uh, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And then and encourage one another, especially now. I had people who said, I believe in you. I know you're having a hard time. The situation is grim. But, but I believe in you. Like, I'm with you. I'm for you. It's okay. I'm not going to abandon you. Find community 
that will listen, find community that will encourage and express like their belief in you. Third thing, it says here in Hebrews 10, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. When the pandemic hit, we doubled down on community. We said, even though we can't right away meet in person, we're going to find a way to meet virtually. We're going to, like, as inconvenient and as annoying as it can be, we're going to, like, continue to do life groups. We're going to set up Zoom rooms. Like, our vision and our values for community didn't change, and so we just doubled down on it, right? If we were measuring winning and losing based on how many people were in the room back in March, we were... Like, we lost. Like, we failed big. But, but that's, that wasn't the game we were in. We were in the game of loving and staying connected and staying engaged. And so this isn't a chastisement of people who are viewing online. It is an invitation to stay engaged. The, the interesting thing here is the passage indicates that some people have gotten into the habit of disengaging, of not connecting into their community. And I just, I, I think... I think if we thought about it for just a second, we could imagine why that was or why that is. Maybe that's even more relevant. Why do we stop engaging? I mean, maybe it's we're afraid if you're a first century Christian and people might um, persecute you or stop doing business with you or, or just like make fun of you, reject you personally, right? Like the, the idea of rejection because of being a follower of Jesus is still pretty relevant. Maybe, maybe you disengage because you're busy. The thing I really want to highlight today, though, that I think is, is something we all need to persevere in, is that sometimes we disengage because we get bored. Because we just feel spiritually stuck, and so we stop feeling like that cool experience that is, that is so precious. Um, the experience of Jesus being present in a room of, of like singing to Jesus and having like this amazing like high, like these are, these are precious gifts, but sometimes they're not there. And I think the year 2020 and 2021 has been one of those. It's just been a season where a lot of people are feeling spiritually stuck. And so I want to talk about St. John of the Cross and I want to bring this out so that you remember what I'm saying here. I want you to know that this has been sanitized. So, in fact, I have, I have tablets, and this is food safe. Um, and I guess, I think maybe I've brought the plunger here before, so you guys have to tell me if uh, this rings a bell. But St. John of the Cross lived in the like, mid-1500s, and he talked about this thing called the dark night of the soul. The idea of the dark night of the soul is sometimes you are doing all you can to stay engaged with God, uh, you know, you're, you're reading your Bible, you're in community, you're spending time in silence and solitude, uh, or, or going to church, like, but, but it's just not, it doesn't feel great. Like, it, you're not sensing that God is present. St. John of the Cross calls this a dark night of the soul. You're spiritually stuck. You're stuck in life. You're having a hard time engaging. Now, what St. John of the Cross says is this might actually be God giving you a gift, I know this sounds crazy. How could God's, like the experience of God, God's presence being drawn away be a gift? Well, St. John of the Cross says, many of us are in love with the experience of God 
and not God himself. Let's just translate that into like um, marriage or dating relationships or friendships, right? Like you want to be loved by someone, not just because you're fun and good looking, right? You want to be loved by someone because they love you, like at the deepest parts of who you are, the things that are not external but internal. And so what happens in a dark night of the soul is like what happens when you pull out a plunger. If you're spiritually stuck, have, we been, have I said that enough times? Are you getting it? If you're spiritually stuck, if there's no movement in your life, sometimes that's actually a gift from God. And what happens is in the process, have you guys ever used one of these? Do you know that, in fact, I wonder if you guys have ever needed to use one of these and you didn't have access to it. Has that ever happened to you? What, what, then what did you do? Anyway, these things, you don't need them often, but when you, when, like they're very necessary. Allison's shaking her head at me again. This makes things worse before it makes things better. You need to get some things to the surface of your life sometimes in order to deal with them. A dark night of the soul, a time in your life where you are not experiencing like the highs and the joy and the fullness and the buzz of the presence of God might actually be an invitation, might be God drawing up some of the junk that's in your soul. I mean, 2020, 2021 has just been a big plunger experience in our world. Am I wrong about that? It's brought up a lot of the junk. Um, and it, yeah, a lot of the junk like in our culture, in our society, in our politics has brought up a lot of junk. But I think in our hearts too, and that can be a little bit scary. It can be a reason to run, to disengage, because I just don't want to deal with what's going on in my heart. But the invitation here is to persevere, to stay connected in worship. Because when you're not feeling worship, when you're singing and you're not getting the, the cool experience, you know what's at the center of your worship? God is at the center of your worship. And worship is something that, that can be enjoyed, right? But when you're, when you're not enjoying it, when you're pressing through, you've actually put your experience aside and said, nope, I am choosing to worship, I am persevering, because God is at the center of my song. And when your marriage gets tough and the junk comes to the surface and you choose to persevere, like, that is love. <laughs> and when you need people, know that you've got them. They're available to you. Like, that's, that's what we're signing up for when we say we're part of the, the church, like Big C Church, the family of God. We're going to try to motivate each other to love and good works. We're going to encourage each other. And most of all, we're going to rest on our identity, that God has declared us worthy, that he has forgiven our sins, that he has shared his very life with us. And so let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that if we are finding ourselves in this dark night where the junk of our life has floated to the surface, that you would help us to deal with the pain through your grace, with your grace. 
not through guilt and not through shame, but through acceptance and forgiveness and love. And if this season has been going on for a month or six months or a year, we just declare to you, we love you. And even though sometimes we can't experience your love the way we wish we could, here we are clinging to your promises, clinging to your hope, clinging to your love. And so I want to invite everybody who's in the room to stand. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.